Good morning. I get another long one from John. <laughs> and this is Matthew 19, verses 16 to 30. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone, and I just lost it, come back, come back. <laughs> oh, goody. So, <laughs> and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Thank you, Father, for your words. Tough though these words are, these are kind of scary. We know that you've given us so many riches and so many blessings, and you said that you would prosper us and not harm us. And then this passage comes along, and then you say, we must give everything up for you. That's a tough call. And then you say, it's almost impossible for anybody to get to heaven. But luckily, you also said nothing is impossible for God. And boy, that's what I'm hanging on to, because I treasure the fact that your grace is enough. That's what we need, and that's what you've so graciously given us. We thank you for this. We also thank you for pastors that are willing to deal with the tough words of our Lord, because we need to hear everything, whether we like the words or not. Please bless Pastor Anthony as he fleshes us out for us and gives us the deeper meaning and clarity to your words, and open all of our hearts and minds that we can not only hear the words, but that we can accept them, which may be hard, but help us with your grace to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
<clears throat> that was a great reading and prayer. And, and uh, I, I don't get to talk about Peter, so I'm going to get Peter off, out of my brain and my mind just right off the bat because he's not part of the sermon. But I just lo- don't you just love the part where he says, well, look at, look at us. Oh, we, we've, we've left you. Uh, we, we've left everything and, and followed you. Uh, what, do, what do we get? Right? I, I, just, I just love that because it's typical Peter. But anyway, uh, I don't get to teach that, but I, 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 I think it'd be good to do character studies of these guys one of these days. Maybe, maybe one of these days we'll get, we'll get to character studies. But to the topic I'd like to cover today is the one that's addressed um, in the beginning of the text by the rich young ruler. And it's what must one do to gain eternal life? What must one do to gain eternal life? If it, it, it is, if you believe in God, one of those ultimate questions. And depending on the God you worship, the answer uh, to that question will be vast and varied. In the text today, we're introduced to a young man somewhere between the ages of 20 to 40. So, John, you do fit into that category. And unfortunately, I don't fit into that category anymore. Um, uh, He's a a God-fearing Jew who approaches Jesus in the hopes that he might have an answer to this very question. What must I do to gain eternal life? And known to Bible readers as the rich young ruler, he's a leader in the synagogue, he's, he's a seeker of this ultimate truth, and Matthew really intends for us to know that apparently he has also been very, very successful in life. Uh, in verses 18 through 20, we learn that he has been very successful in his morality. He's a moral man. He explains to Jesus that he has been quite faithful uh, in keeping the commandments. He says he's a good son, a good citizen. He's an overall man of integrity. And uh, he's one of those guys that his, his word meant something. If he said something, you could count on it. So he was, he was very rich with morality. But we also read in verse 22 that he, was, he had a lot of money too. He was, he was rich with money. In fact, it says that his possessions were great. So we never learn how and even exactly what his wealth is. We don't know how he acquired it. We just know that he, he had the resources to enjoy the, the, the finer things of life. Uh, was, he, was he a real, real estate uh, mogul? Um, did, he, did he establish a series of very successful falafel franchises? I, I don't know. But um, he was doing uh, quite all right for himself. Um, money and morality, the guy uh, seemed to have it all, and yet he expresses this deep deficiency to Jesus. He, he tells him, he tells Jesus that his, his, his life is essentially missing something, and, and that's basically what he's saying here. I'm, I'm missing something. In verse 16 specifically, he says, teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a bit of a, a side note, but isn't this the general question that most people are asking uh, today? What am I missing? And, and what do I got to do to reconcile that? What am I missing? What do I have to do to connect those dots? It, it may not always be eternal life that people are looking for, but it seems that everyone is looking to find the proverbial sweet spot of, of life 
Um, and so, uh, therefore, they um, are setting out, and humanity is setting out to, on silent retreats, saunas, cold plunges, conferences, uh, joining communities, exchanging information, and doing enough good in the world in hopes that they might overcome the proverbial hump and, and escape the existential dread that comes with the human experience. The young man in our story uh, is under this similar impression, and he thinks he is a step away to perhaps obtaining the sweet life, eternal life. He believes he's one good deed away from really grabbing a hold of the kingdom of God. What do I got to do to get the kingdom of God? And Jesus' answer, however, it puts a screeching halt to his plans. It's like, I, 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 I don't know if you know, but I collect records, so I like record metaphors. And this record just screeches to a halt. It goes, you know, and you're just like, what happened? What happened? This turntable is broken. Uh, but something happens here, and Jesus uh, gives him this really, really hard saying because he instructs him to take all his great possessions and give them to the poor, and then to join him and his disciples on the road. It's heavy. It's so heavy. Um, and what's, what's heavy about it, instead of finding that final missing piece of the puzzle and, and locking it in, so to speak, the man who essentially has it all walks away from Jesus, utterly grieved and vexed. He, he's so... He's so discombobulated. He walks away sad. He does not know what hit him. He's unwilling to, to follow Jesus in this hard saying. And so as uh, Dante's Divine Comedy uh, refers to this, um, or can refer to this as, as the great refusal, this young man, he, uh, he leaves as a wandering star, lost, haunted by what um, perhaps may have been in his life. It's one of, the, one of the saddest stories in the life, if that's all we have, and, you know, we don't know anything beyond that, but it's quite a, quite a story. So there, there's, there, we could speculate what happens beyond this point, but that would be pointless and unhelpful, especially when we're reading the Bible. We should just go back to the text and see what Jesus means by all of this. Uh, so, so as we consider this, so even when this young man had the answer, why did he go away grieved? Why did he go away grieved? Well, I'll give you three reasons. How about that? Three reasons. Number one, this young man learned that eternal life is, isn't a product that can be purchased. The kingdom of God is not a product to be purchased. It's, it's not wrong to want eternal life. In fact, it's good to want eternal life. It's not wrong to want eternal life, but as Dale Bruner explains it, he explains it really well here, it is wrong if eternal life is an additional um, acquisition. If one wants the, spirit, the spiritual as a complement to all the other good things one has, physical, financial, social, and the like, I am a successful businessman, business a good father, and, a respect, and, and respected in my community. Now I want to be a success with God as well. It's a little eerie. Um, service clubs sometimes seek such well-roundedness in their members, but the idea of eternal life as the acquisition of an upwardly mobile person is offensive to Jesus. Eternal life is not spiritual real estate for a person on the make. 
That's a, that's a pretty good um, assessment of things. With this hard saying, Jesus destroys the idea that Christianity is and can be a commodity to be bought and sold and traded. We live in a world where everyone has a price. We say that all the time, that everyone has their price. And therefore, it's not absurd to think about if one views life through that lens, the automatic assumption is that God must also have his as well. Does God have a price? The rich young ruler uh, tells us that, that God and the good life can't be bought. It can't be bartered with. It can't be traded with as a commodity. Number two, uh, we also learn from this young ruler that salvation is not found in the shopping center, but on a road. A journey which begins and ends with Jesus. Salvation is not found in, the shop, in a shopping center, but on the road with Jesus. You see, in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson explains why the market is preferred to the road for many people. It's a rather long book. It's a good one. He says, it is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even good news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is a little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. And I love what he says here from the heart of a pastor. Everyone is in a hurry. The persons whom I lead and worship, among whom I counsel, visit, pray, preach, and teach, want shortcuts. They want me to help them fill out the form that will get them instant credit in eternity. They are impatient for results. They have adopted the lifestyle of a tourist and only want the high points but a pastor is not a tour guide. I have no interest in telling apocryphal religious stories that they're at and around the dubiously identified sacred sites. The Christian life cannot mature under such conditions and in such ways. That's good, huh? That's pretty good. That's, that, that is Conviction City right there. I'm living in Conviction City. No shortcuts. The rich young ruler is telling us that there's no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us uh, to stop being in such a hurry for spiritual success, to stop shopping for the good life and to join him out on the road, to experience it step by step with him there. That is, that is what Jesus is inviting us to. That's what he was invited the young man to. And he said, I just don't think I have the time for it. And was it, what, did it have something to do with his business uh, other, uh, elsewhere? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And those are hard. Those are difficult lessons. But I think the most important thing that we see, the third thing that, that is so challenging and why this young man went away grieved was because because, you know, Jesus got pretty, pretty, pretty personal. <laughs> he got pretty personal. 
The rich young ruler is approaching Jesus thinking that this is merely an academic exercise. That he will go to him, they will exchange, exchange information, and he will walk away with his answer. But Jesus, knowing who he is, and we've, we've, all, we've experienced him, maybe, maybe not, but we've seen him at work and on the pages of Scripture, and we see what he, what he does. He goes much deeper. It's more, much more than just a conversation. It's much more than a, an intellectual academic exchange. What he does with this young man is he, he actually cracks him open, and he goes to his very core. He, he, he exposes his true, his true love. But he digs deep into his soul. He gets very personal. And I love what Mark's gospel says. If you're familiar with Mark's account, and this is a very important tidbit, it says that right before he instructed this young man to sell all of his possessions, give them to the poor, and join him on the road, it says that he looked at him and he loved him. Remember that one? It says he said before he dropped that devastating news uh, for this young man, it was devastating for this young man. When he, when he dropped that news on him, he said, it said before that he looked at him and he loved him. Let that sink in for a second. That is who Jesus is. That is who our Savior is. That's who our Lord is. He, uh, Jesus, he doesn't just say difficult and challenging things to him and to us for that matter because he, he likes to see us squirm. Jesus is not toying with this, this kid. He's not toying with us. We're not, I'm not, I'm certainly not teaching these sermons to toy with you. Um, it'd be much easier just to do the, look at the, look at the flowers. <laughs> um, but it is here in the, in the dirt, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the garden bed, where all the soil is being, being tossed up, is where something truly miraculous can happen. And, and if we can see that, we can understand that Jesus Jesus doesn't do this to toy with this young man. He does it to expose his substitute God. He shows him, he does this so he'll show this young man what he truly loves. Jesus says this hard thing because he knows it's, it's this man's money. It's this, man, this man's morality that he thinks will actually give him status and security. And when he finds out that it won't, he can't part with it. And that's why he therefore goes away sad. Riches had proven to be a benefit to this young man, but in this case of salvation and life with Christ, they were a barrier. Why? Well, you see the young man, and I don't, and I don't think he, even he was quite aware of it, but he hadn't really kept all the commandments because he failed the first one. Are you familiar with the first one? Exodus 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. And this is where this text gets very personal, and it can potentially crack all of us open because uh, God, a God can be your wealth, it can, it can be your morality, but it can be many, many other things. We make gods out of the most minuscule things in this life. Jesus loves this young man enough to say, you must surrender the thing you insist on obtaining and keeping. The thing that gives you life apart from me, the thing you really worship, you have to let it go if you're going to worship me. And Jesus doesn't say that just to this young man. He says it to everyone who would ever come after him, follow him, and join him on the road. He says that, he says that to everybody. And this is how you know you've really encountered Jesus. 
Because he touches your truest loves, and he tells you to surrender them uh, to him. That's how you know you've encountered Jesus. And I think that's a really important criteria to add into our lives to question whether or not we've really had true encounters with Christ. Because if we've been with Jesus and he's never asked anything out of us, then we have to wonder whether or not we've actually hung with Jesus. We've actually listened to his words and seriously taken anything he's ever said seriously. Because he will disrupt. He will crack you to the core. And he won't do it because he likes to play with you. He's doing it because he wants to give you the good life. He wants to bless you with something better. I know this is sort of silly, but the rich young ruler and many seekers looking for the sweet life or eternal life, for that matter, can be summarized in the song called I Would Do Anything for Love by the great theologian um, Meatloaf. You ever heard, heard of him? Do you guys know how that song goes? I would do anything for love. Oh, I would do anything for love. <laughs> but I won't do that. No, I won't do that. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. Yeah, but isn't that it? That, that is the rich young ruler, and it is anyone who comes to Christ and says, what, do I, what must I do? to have eternal life? What, what, I, what must I do to, to enjoy the good life that God has offered me? Well, we have to let him examine it all, and we have to see what we truly love, and we have to lay it down at his feet. Now, that is essentially through a really difficult and challenging story, because many people go to that story and say, is God telling me to give, give all my stuff away? Well, Let's just keep going, and then we'll, maybe we'll just, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Because we can get through the rich young ruler's story and kind of feel like we're a little unscathed. We walk through it without, a little, without like real deep conviction, but then Jesus says something really shocking in verse 23, because then he goes from a story around one individual, and then he broadens his, his, his teaching on this, this wealth, this money and morality, he, he, he broadens this teaching to go much, much more um, exhaustive and broadly to the, to the world. He says in verse 23, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, some some um, translations say it's, impo- uh, it, it's um, what is it, difficulty. Um, anyway brain lost something, um, with great difficulty. Oh, it's impossible. Um, verse 24, and he says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So he says this really devastating thing. Now it's broad spectrum type of, type of deal. When you read those words from Christ, there's no other way to interpret it other than what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying when it comes to the kingdom of God, Wealth is indeed a, a barrier, not a benefit. Now, that may um, be terrifying, and it also may be um, something that you move through, but what he's saying here is wealth is dangerous. As, the, as, it, as it poses a particular temptation for us to find our comfort, security, and trust in it rather than God. 
That's, 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 what, that's what Jesus is saying here. And in light of the rich young ruler's story, I think we would all agree on, on this, that um, however, for most of us, this probably doesn't apply to us because we're not rich. Right? Is that how we would approach this? Um, I know that's how I initially appro- approached this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not rich, so I guess I'm good. I'm good here. Um, but I'm sorry to burst your bubble. And, and, it, and my, my bubble was burst too. But guess what? Y'all, y'all are rich. I, I'm, I'm rich. Um, I've shared this information with you before, but according to an article written by uh, uh, Gautam Nier, I, this, I'm sure I'm not saying, I'm butchering that, but he's a PhD in political science at Yale University, and you can find many pieces of corroborating, corroborating this, this, uh, this observed evidence, but he says that Americans profoundly underestimate how rich they are compared to the rest of the world. The average U.S. resident estimates that the global it's a bigger perspective. Global median income involved is about 20,000. Income is about um, 20,000 a year. In fact, the real answer is about a tenth of that figure. It's roughly 2,100 per year. What explains these misperceptions? Well, human beings draw heavily on their own local lived experience to make judgments about the wider world. As individuals uh, own incomes rise, and therefore the incomes of those around them, so too do their overestimates of the global median income. You see, Americans, we are plagued with the problem of comparison. And often we, we, we lack a global perspective when it comes to assessing our lives and, you know, and our lived experiences and our small pieces of land here where we're living. But... Uh, Americans are plagued with this problem of comparison, and, and, um, and most of us, in reality, we're only poor when, when we compare ourselves to um, Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk, and yeah, like we're poppers compared to those, dude. When you're, you're sending rockets to Mars, yeah, like different places, you know, in life. But, but we're, we're only poor in comparison to these big names. You guys, we're wealthy, and I don't know how comfortable or uncomfortable that makes you feel, but we're wealthy. We're wealthy people. Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have running water? Do you have sanitation solutions? Have you ever had to wonder where your next meal is coming from? You know, even if it's a package of ramen or a bologna sandwich, which is, you know, one of my go-to sandwiches, um, it's more than most have. It's more than most have. You know, I, I've, been, I've been around. I've, I've been around the block, as they say, and I've been to Haiti a, a handful of times. And one of the places we used to minister to, one of the common cultural uh, greetings there was literally, have you eaten? They would see each other and, and say, have you eaten? Because what that meant was, if you haven't eaten, well, maybe we'll, we'll um, either, I know where food is, or maybe we can go find food together. And we have to let that sink in for a second. That's how a lot of people live life in this world. I, 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 love, I, love, my, I love my country. I love America. But do you know there's a much larger uh, planet that we live on, a much more diverse people, and they are um, in trenches that we'll never understand. They're in poverty that we'll never under, understand. 
You know, we, we, we say to each other, are you hungry? But that means like, do you want to go out to eat? <laughs> you want to go grab a, grab a bite, right? And just, I'll, I'll put it out there for you guys. If you ever want to come over to my house for a bologna sandwich, it's always on the table, all right? <laughs> always on the table. And we'll maybe throw an egg on it too. <laughs> Slap a cheese on there, you know? But if you have been around the world, if you've seen how people lived, you know um, Americans got it pretty good. Got it pretty good. There's some pockets, and there's some places in our country that um, have dire need, but uh, it is a, a, such a small fraction. And here's the thing, I, I, I hope everybody hears as I talk through this really touchy subject that I'm not hating on wealth. I'm just relaying a message out of the mouth of Jesus when he says, it's only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And we should take that deep to heart. It should rattle us a little bit when we know how wealthy we are, especially when we break it down into, you know, a realistic perspectives. Um, and, in, in the, and therefore, this, this should be sobering for us. Americans, and especially American Christians, um, it's for us, and we need to honestly ask ourselves, do I possess riches, or do they, like the rich young ruler, do they possess me? Do they possess me? Do I hold it? Is it a resource, or is it, is it a God? Is it a resource or God? Because those are, those, are, those are vastly different answers. Take you on vastly different journeys. And they'll give you vastly different an answers when Jesus says, I want you to evaluate what you really love. And then, you know, of course, sermon, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he corroborates this all. He makes it as clear as he possibly can when he says, no one can serve two masters. You will either, um, he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. These hard sayings from Jesus are warnings to the American church that has both subtly and grossly blended the church with consumerism. There's a, there's a book out there called uh, the, is it the Way of the Dragon, the Way of the Lamb, and uh, they, they've, they've put a, they inserted a phrase in there that's haunted me ever since I read it, and it's, it's the um, American Evangelical Industrial Complex. And, and it's, in other words, it's the church as big business. And that should rattle us. That should cause us to pause and evaluate if we're part of the business of God or the kingdom of God. You know, the business, the, the American business model of God and cultural practices that people have employed to, to do pretty well financially, or are we about the kingdom of God? You know, and that's, I'm, I'm telling you, this is not easy for me because this rattles me to my core because I know that rich preachers are stepping into pulpits today, and I'm one of those rich pastors. That's crazy to me. It's, it's crazy to me, first and foremost. It's crazy. But I'm one of those people. We'll step, we'll step into uh, pulpits today, and, and, um, and I have to ask myself, are we leading people to the, the outlet mall, or are we leading them on the road with Jesus? That's what we have to ask ourselves. That's what we ask, what are we participating in? What am I participating in as a preacher, pastor? What are we participating in as, as, as a parishioners? 
because it alliterates. Um, you know, what, uh, does, uh, what, are we, what are we participating in? Jesus' comments on wealth are meant to trouble the wealthy, to trouble us, uh, to disturb disciples of Christ, to wake us up. And I love it. It did, it did wake up the disciples because when they heard this, they said, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? And then Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. They have the, the same ideas, that if you have this great morality, you have this great wealth, this great money, then you're good. And Jesus says, well, it can, it, it, it's possible, but it also could be a great obstacle and keep you far away from the kingdom of God, depending on how you evaluate it all. Wealth, it might be synonymous with success in the world, but if we're uh, taking the words of Jesus seriously, wealth is rarely synonymous with salvation in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus says. And so, that's the sermon. We got through it. We, 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 I think we survived it, yeah? Uh, I don't think anybody, I didn't see anybody rip any blouses, I didn't see any protests, or maybe just internally saying, this guy's an idiot, doesn't know what he's talking about. But um, here's a couple, here's some final thoughts and questions to kind of wrap our minds around this just really incredibly challenging text. When we read the rich young ruler, we need to remember that this is a specific uh, encounter that Christ has with a specific individual. And it is so dangerous to look at this one story and take this guy's, this guy's individualized experience and apply it carte blanche to everybody. It's, da- it's actually very dangerous to do that. What, what is wiser to do when we encounter this is say, I'm an individual who comes with a totally different set of obstacles that I bring to Jesus. And so, I, so rather than try and um, insert my life into the rich young ruler's life, maybe I just bring my life and the things that I struggle with before him and let him evaluate them. That's, I think it's a wise way to reach, uh, to, to read this. And then, of course, it's, it's, it's also important to remember that after that, he gives a very broad spectrum interpretation on, on all of this. And he does, you know, if you believe me that we're wealthy, that, that n- will niggle at you. It might niggle at you really, really bad. Um, and so, therefore, I just want to ask you, when you see... Jesus painting a canvas, what is it you see in the, on, the, on the pages of Scripture? And the reason I use an art metaphor is because I don't, I don't really understand art. Actually, I was sitting, um, uh, sitting at my house with my, um, my, my niece Zoe, and she was, she was asking me what the, the piece of art on my wall meant. And I, and I looked at her first, I was thinking in my head, never thought that deep on the, on that on that piece of art and then i and then you know i, I did the yoda move i said well what do you think it, it means <laughs> but i tell you what um a lot of what jesus paints in the gospels what he paints with his words especially the hard things we look at it and we say that doesn't make any sense and actually it's a it's an image it's a it's a picture i can see that it took it took a skill, it took an artisan to do it, but I don't understand it. And so the temptation when we encounter something like that, I say, well, I don't understand it. It must not really resonate with me, and I'll just move on. It won't be a thing. No, I'm, I'm telling you, 
just like pretend you're at the Louvre, and we've, Beth and I have tried to go twice, and it was close both times. Um, close both times, the two times you're there and, and it's closed, like what are the odds, right? Um, but what you do is you go to that picture and just sit. And I'm not talking about like abstract images of art now, I'm talking about Jesus. The person and the work of Jesus. Just sit and look at the picture and see what he's trying to say. Try to embrace the thing that he's trying to instruct you in. And whether or not you can believe it's actually beautiful art, can you believe that Jesus is good and that he instructed it and painted it? And can you believe that even though you may not see it as beautiful, that it is in fact actually beautiful? That is the challenge of all these hard sayings for me. I'm, I'm with you, Scott. Uh, my first, you know, when, we, when I first started the, the first sermon of this series for me, I said, what have we gotten ourselves into, right? Because it's hard looking at hard things. But I invite you guys to come and, and look at the canvas, even if it doesn't completely make sense to you. And so I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you four razor-sharp questions uh, to close and consider as we close this sermon this morning. Number one, do I think that God has a price? Probably a good follow-up question to that is, am I transactional with him? In other words, if you give me this, I'll give you that. Or, have you already said, I've given you this, why won't you give me that? Do we think God has a price? And let me ask you this, does the price of Jesus Christ on a cross, is that enough? Is that a satisfactory price for all of us? Number two, this is, this, is a, this is a good one for us. Am I attempting to, to speed God up? Are we, are, we, are we more like Amazon Prime Christians, or are we, are we willing to step out onto the road and join Jesus on the journey? Jesus is inviting us on the, onto a road. You know, spring's coming. I love, I love uh, planting things. I love watching things blossom. And that, that, that happens through winter. Uh, number three, if God were to ask me for blank, could I and would I give it to him? If God were to ask me for blank, could I and would I give it to him? It's way more personal when you fill in the blank, right? When you have your thing that, is, that you've got a little, you're holding a little too tightly onto, right? And then number four, am I generous with my wealth and what percentage of it goes to kingdom priorities? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. And even though we don't really like it all the time, God, we thank you for being such a good father and giving us such a good hard word and sending your spirit so that it, it actually uh, opens our ears, opens our hearts and our minds to resonate in such a way that it's compelling. If we find it beautiful, we celebrate that today. We ask that you would uh, press us deeper into understanding that picture more clearly. And then if we are still in the weeds on this, God, I just 
pray for grace over all that. I pray that um, our gospel communities, our conversations um, would all be fruitful and it would all be around understanding um, your perfect way and your perfect peace and your perfect rest that you, that you have given in uh, your son. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.